Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, great to be with you today. And uh, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to uh, either turn it on or open it up to uh, Titus chapter uh, chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. And uh, just a, uh, a couple of notes here. Um, There's a couple prayer cards on the back of the table near the offering box and up on the corner there of the, the sound booth. But I encourage you to, to uh, pick one of these up and, and uh, pray for us. You know, we feel, we feel that uh, you know, we see ourselves more as regional ministries, ministry, uh, missionaries. And, uh, you know, God's doing some great things around uh, mid-America. And uh, we're actually uh, in, in the midst of a kind of a large expansion <laughs> project uh, where we're going to merge with another region uh, in our in our fellowship of churches. Right now we have 240 churches, but uh, by the end of the month we're probably going to have over 520 churches that will be part of our fellowship of churches. And so one of the things that we believe is we're better together. And, uh, you know, we're <coughs> we, as a, we as a local region of churches, a, collect, a fellowship of churches, you know, we're reaching right now 10 language groups. Uh, 40% of our churches would be churches uh, of color or ethnic churches. And, uh, and now with, these, with this addition of these 200-some uh, churches, uh, we'll be way above that. And uh, we'll probably be 60% um, of our churches will be uh, churches of color. And, uh, and that, that is one of the great things about being part of this movement is that we celebrate diversity, diversity, the richness of our diversity. Um, the, you know, we've got the, you know, the, the church should look what the, like what the kingdom of God is going to look like. It should be a diverse collection of people from all tribes and all languages, all backgrounds, right? And uh, who love Jesus and worship him. And so that's just a little bit of what's going on in Converge. And, and uh, if you can... If you want to look at this card, you can get more information about us and follow us in our newsletters and websites and all that stuff to hear about what God's doing through your church um, and uh, your partnership with us. Well, let, I'm going to read this text, and then we're going to go to pray. And uh, um, let's pray. Let's, let me read it. It says here, verse, <coughs> chapter, one, verse uh, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever's good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, always to be gentle towards everyone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we come to you as your children, and we come to this book as your love letter to us. And Lord, you're speaking today. You're speaking so loudly to us. You're speaking to all humanity. And you're also speaking to the church. And you're speaking to us as individuals. And so, Father, may we be listening. May our hearts be attuned to what you're saying to us during these, during these turbulent times. And so, Father, we come. We come in the name of Jesus, and we ask you to speak through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name, 
throughout the Bible, you know, there's two, two principles at work that you can see if you read the entirety of Scripture. That God speaks to the world through, through national disasters or through natural disasters. God is speaking to the world, right? And that, but then he gets more specific about that, but God, God speaks to his people through natural disasters. When this pandemic broke out, I began praying that God would reveal his mind to me and give me a word that would sustain me and guide our churches through this global crisis. And that word came to me through Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Let me give you a little context of this, of this little book. It's a book of, with three, three chapters in it. And it's a letter, it's actually a personal letter that Paul's writing to his disciple Titus. And uh, Titus was a regional leader whose task was, uh, was to strengthen a growing, a, a, a growing yet fledgling movement of churches on the island of Crete. How many have ever been, has anybody ever been to the island of Crete? Okay, well, I will say I was there. <laughs> uh, my wife and I did a Mediterranean cru- cruise years ago, and, uh, and we, we, we actually spent a day on the island of Crete. And I told my wife, just don't leave me there like Paul left Titus. You know, but, so, anyway, but it's, it's, a ma- it's a major island. And, uh, and, Paul, and Paul left Titus there, and uh, he, left them, he left them there. And we see why he left them there. And actually in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished. Now again, Paul, Paul, Paul was there ministering to this fledgling group of of believers, fledging group of churches. They were actually churches. They were organized churches that were throughout the island. And, uh, and, and Titus's uh, job was to put in order or to, or to straighten out. This word, put in order or to straighten out, comes from the word, uh, uh, finds its, its roots in, in the words orthodontics or, or orthopedics. You know, an orthodontist puts braces on your teeth to straighten them out. A, a ortho, orthopedist puts a cast or a brace on your bones so that they'll mend and they'll heal and they'll be strengthened. So Titus was to provide, his job while he stayed on this island, was to provide uh, braces that would strengthen this immature movement of churches, which could, which could at that time been up to over 100 churches on that one island. Paul gives Titus three braces to, to provide strength for this movement of churches. The first one we find in chapter 1, it says, he says, basically, I want you to appoint elders in every town. Chapter 1 is all about making sure every local church has a, has a godly group of leaders in it. Okay? And so he was, that, that was his job, to make sure every church was to have a, a, a group of godly leaders who were leading that church. And he talks about the qualifications of an elder. And then, and then chapter 2, he basically, his job was to promote or to teach sound doctrine and to make sure people were living gospel-centered lives. It's interesting, if you read chapter 2, he talks about older men, older women, younger men, younger women, right? And, and he says, Here's, I'm giving you instructions how they're supposed to live. Or, you know, sound doctrine is not just correct thinking, but it's also correct, think, correct living, Correct living. 
And then finally, his job was what, what we see in verse chapter 3, verses 1. Remind the people, right, how to live missionally in this world. Chapter 3 is all about teaching them how to live missionally in this world. And so the reason why this book of Titus is so dear to me and so important to me is because it really describes what I do as a, as a, as a regional leader. We, 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 I travel around you know, between 240 churches, encouraging, basically building relationships with the leaders of the church, making sure every church has godly leaders, right? And encouraging them and keeping them focused. Making sure they're teaching sound doctrine, that they're thinking correctly, but also living it out appropriately. And then always reminding the church to be on mission with God. To be on mission with God. And so our church, our, 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 our fellowship's been working with you. Our vice president of church strengthening's been working with your team to, to help make sure that you get the right pastor to help lead you, lead you into, into the future. So Titus' commission uh, involved the reestablishing the basic foundations of the church so that gospel-centered churches would saturate the island of Crete and beyond with the hope of Jesus. You know, grasping this context helps us as leaders when we, as, we, as we live through this global pandemic. Because chapter 3 is all about, you know, these, these first few verses are all about how do we become virtuous, responsible, and what I like to use the word remarkable, gospel-centered citizens in a pagan world. So there's actually, it's very interesting in this text, there are seven virtues of what it means to be a gospel-centered citizen in, this, in a pagan world. So Paul starts out and he uses these words, remind the people, remind the people. And he uses, it's actually a very forceful word, because it's actually, he basically says, he says, Pastor, you must keep on continually reminding your people of the principles and qualities of what it means to be a remarkable, gospel-centered citizen in this world. Isn't it amazing how we forget stuff? You know, we could be so forgetful, can't we? We could be so forgetful. And, uh, and, and I just find it amazing that, you know, one day, you know, we could all be worshiping Jesus, you know, and just, you know, surrendering to the Lord. And we go down the street and, and uh, we're sitting at the red light and the red light turns green and the guy behind us honks at us, right? Rawr, we get irritated, right? Or we're the one doing the honking, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, but we're just, we can just, we get, we're so forgetful. And that's why throughout Scripture, he's always saying, remind the people, remind the people what they're here for. And this whole last chapter, he's just reminding them that they're to be on mission. They're, they're to take the hope of Jesus with them wherever they go. And so he goes on, and he, and he goes very specifically into these seven, what I'm calling seven virtues of being a remarkable citizen. Let's look at these real, real quickly. The first, the, first, the first virtue is this submissive in attitude he writes be subject to authorities be subject to authorities see we voluntarily subject ourselves to governing authorities because we believe 
They are put in place sovereignly by God. Two key passages of Scripture you need to read on this would be Romans 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2. Understanding that the island of Crete was under the ruthless rule of the Roman Empire, they were to submit to the reasonable and responsible rule of government as long as it did not cause them to violate God's laws. Peter and John refused the orders of the, of the Jewish officials when they told them, you cannot teach in the name of Jesus anymore. And their response was, we must obey God rather than human beings. Here's where, here's where it, it's like when you determine, you know, this whole idea of being civilly disobedient, right? I think, I think when, we, when you think about this, I think you've got to think through the great commandment and the great commission rule. And so as you're discerning this, kind of think, think this through. Ask yourself, is my government asking me to reduce my love for God and my love for my neighbor? Is my government asking me to reduce my love for God and my love for my neighbor? If our government is asking to do that, you should, you should disobey whatever they're asking you to do. Or is my government asking me to stop proclaiming the good news of Jesus to my friends, families, co-workers? If our government is asking us to do that, then we should stand up against it. I was in Nepal last February, and, uh, and we've, we've been going there for a number of years. And pa- Nepal is a, is, a, is a Hindu country, and it was very closed for years, but it opened up. And it, it, and, 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 got, and it opened up by the power of God's Spirit. Because as it opened up, the gospel was brought forth. And we've helped, we've helped actually start over 4,000 churches in Nepal. And a couple of years ago, two years ago, they began clamping down again on it. And, uh, and some of the people we work with there... Were being, you know, being more and more restricted, and uh, and there were, you know, more threats of being imprisoned, you know, for just sharing their faith. And and so we asked the leaders. I said, "What are you going to do when that happens? When they start really clamping down?" He goes, "We're going to do what we always done. We're going to keep sharing Jesus. <laughs> we're going to keep sharing Jesus." One one man, one man who's is in his he's in his uh, well, almost now in his seventies. He, uh, he, w- he went to prison several times for sharing Jesus. And, uh, and, and what happened uh, one time is that he, he was there and he was thrown in prison. And so he began sharing Jesus in the prison. And he began starting churches in the prisons. And so the, the officials actually kicked him out because more people are coming to Christ in prison. And, uh, you know, and, and left them alone. And, uh, and but. But, you know, it's so humbling working with those leaders who just are risking their lives to take the gospel to people who desperately need it. So during this pandemic, I just continue to encourage uh, us as followers of Jesus to submit to the guidelines of social distancing, to look for ways to connect with our neighbors, to share the hope of Jesus during this during this, uh, during this challenging season. We need to be responsible. The second virtue 
is in these words, obedient. To be obedient. Keep on reminding them to be obedient. To be obedient means to live, you know, we're not only to live in, uh, uh, with a submissive attitude, but we're also to be obedient in our actions. Paul writes to the Christians living in Rome, in, in chapter Rome, uh, Romans 13, he says this, if, you, if, if this, is also, this is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. The Apostle Peter says, says the same thing in, in, in different words. He says this in First Peter chapter 2. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. We as Christian citizens should be the highest example of citizenship because we want to point people to the true king, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord and only Savior. Let me ask you this question. Do you agree with that statement? Do you agree with the statement that Christians should be the highest examples of responsible citizenship to this country? The third, the third uh, virtue is a benevolent spirit. He continues, he says, uh, keep on reminding them what? To be ready to do whatever's good. It's interesting that in this chapter, this is where we get the missional component of this chapter, is that three times in this chapter, he says that same phrase, devote yourselves to doing what is good. Paul moves from this, this having a submissive posture, an obedient uh, nature, to being more proactive in learning how to bless people. That's the great thing about the shoeboxes. Isn't it great? Can you just visualize the mountain of shoeboxes there? Our family's been doing shoeboxes since they came out. <laughs> and, uh, but, I mean, it's just a way, right? It's a way to bless someone so that they will open themselves up to the gospel. And see, that's one of the things we need to do as a local church. We've got to figure out how can we bless the hundred households that are just around this church building. The same way you take those shoeboxes and you send them across the world, you got to figure out how to do shoeboxes here. Devote yourselves to doing what is good, right? It's the same principle. And when you bless somebody, what happens is, is it opens up the opportunity for them to hear the gospel. See, and that's what Paul says. He's this virtue of having a benevolent spirit. You know, Peter, Peter says this in the context of, of believers submitting to authorities. He says this in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, you may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Peter and Paul were reflecting uh, the teachings of Jesus here. That we are to be, you know, Jesus taught that we are to be salt and light in this world for this reason, so that they may see, so that the world may see 
our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. <coughs> May the world see the beauty of Jesus through the scattered church. May they see, may their hearts be captured by the goodness and greatness of our God through our, through our remarkable lives. Take a minute and just think about this. How could, what good could I do for someone this week that would give me an opportunity to tell them why I'm doing this? My wife, um, <clears throat> you know, she walks our dog frequently, you know, and that's how she gets to meet neighbors. And, you know, sometimes she'll be out and, and, and I'm going, you know, it's supposed to be a little 20-minute walk and she's gone for hours. And <laughs> she's, she's actually sharing Jesus with people. And on one occasion, um, she was walking our dog and she saw this lady in our, in our uh, neighborhood <clears throat> who we'd never met. You know how it is in your neighborhood, right? People just drive in, right? Pull up, put the door up, put the door down, and stay home, right? <laughs> and you hardly see your neighbors. And so she's walking the dog and, uh, and connecting with her. And, and she saw this lady who was just, like, very looked worrisome, troubled, just kind of discombobulated. She was, you know, and, and, uh, and so um, uh, my wife comes up there and says, Is, can I help you? Is, are you okay? And... She, uh, she says, I, I lost my car keys. And, you know, I lost my car keys, and, and, I, you know, and, uh, and I'm just looking for my car keys. And so at the end of her driveway, which we couldn't figure out how her car keys got to the end of her driveway, but anyway. Um, <coughs> so anyway, my wife's helping her. And so my wife, uh, they looked and looked and couldn't find them. And then, you know, uh, she says, well, I, I've got a spare key. I'll go in the house and, and uh, do that. But... Uh, um, and so they, my wife left her, and my wife, she turned, and she prayed this prayer. And, you know, I would have never thought of this, but she prayed this prayer. She said, Lord, help me find this lady's car key so, so I can tell her that you helped me find them. Two steps later, she finds the car keys. And she takes the car keys and runs up to the, the ladies, knocks on the lady's door, and she says, are these your car keys? Oh! She's like, wow, that's great. Thank you so much. <laughs> and, and so you know, my wife was giving her the keys. But now she had to be obedient. <laughs> she had to tell the lady why, how she found the car keys. And, uh, <laughs> and so my wife said, well, I need to tell you, you know, how I found the car keys. And she said, and she said uh, well, how did you find them? She goes, well, you know, I, I just prayed. I asked the Lord to show me, to find, help me find your car keys. And within a couple of feet, I found them. And, uh, and I, you know, and now I want to tell you, you know, about him. <laughs> and uh, my wife says, you know, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a religious person, but I have a relationship with Jesus. And, uh, and so she just began sharing Jesus with her, and that began this conversation, right? You just think about that. Just pray about what, th that, that God would give you an opportunity to do good to somebody this week. To be benevolent in your spirit. Because it'll give you an opportunity to point people to Jesus. And you got to think about that as a corporately as a church. How can we continually corporately as a church make a difference in our community, right? It's not just a difference in the world, it's a difference in our community. Um, 
to see the gospel go forward. Number, number four, speak well of everyone. Look at what Paul writes. He goes, keep on reminding the people to slander no one. To slander no one. This word slander is the same word for blasphemy. The Bible is very serious when it comes to speaking evil or maligning God. The Bible is just as serious about speaking evil or contemptuously of people created in the image of God. Jesus said this, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Racha, is answerable to the court. And he goes on, anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Matthew chapter 5. The terms raka and you fool were slanderous and contemptuous words against another human being that brought judgment upon them. It's interesting that the scriptures teach us over and over again throughout the epistles. It says in, in, in just lists of behaviors, he basically says don't slander anyone. Remove slander from your life, right? Remove those degrading words, those contemptuous words from our lives, from our vocabulary. And know what we're supposed to replace that with? We're supposed to replace that with prayer. We're supposed to replace those slanderous words with words filled with prayer. Look what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, he says this, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we might live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, we're to replace slander with prayer. We're to replace slander with prayer. When we think of the leaders of our country, we need to replace slander with prayer. See? That's what remarkable citizens do. The fifth, the fifth virtue is peaceable. Remind them again to be peaceable. It's interesting that the actual translation of this is a negative and it actually means don't be a brawler don't be a brawler don't be or cease fighting i'm sure just as in paul's day as well as our own there's a lot of anger being stirred up you know there was a lot of anger being stirred up among the cretans who were living in a pagan culture just like ours we can't, you know, why do we, why do we expect our, Christian to think, our, our country to think Christianly when the majority of them aren't Christians? See? And so we, we expect these things. And that's why we see human cruelty. That's why we see blatant disregard for justice. And it can, it can be so unnerving. It can just generate anger in our hearts. We just see the lack of common sense, we, the neglect of true wisdom. It can drive us mad at times. 
But Paul says we're to be peaceable. We're not to be the, we're not the, we're not to be the agitators, right? It actually in Romans chapter 12 it says as far as it is possible and as far as it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What does it mean to live at peace? It means to be at peace. See, as followers of Jesus, we have peace with God and we can experience the peace of God that transcends all understanding and guards our hearts. And this peace leads to to experiencing inner tranquility, relational poise, and a profound sense of being protected. As followers of Jesus, we must must, uh, refrain from, as one author said this, adopting the arts of an agitator. Yet from a position of inner peacefulness, we should bring words of peace into conversations that de-escalate the situation while seeking to present the gospel of peace to an unsettled world. You know, in a day where conflict and controversy is leveraged to sell anything, We as followers of Jesus should rise above the fray and be reasonable, responsible, and peaceable people. How are you promoting peace in the midst of this crisis, right? The global crisis, our national crisis that we're facing. Six. Practice consideration for others. Paul uses this word considerate. Be considerate. Remind people to be considerate. The, the, word, the word here is an outward expression of gentleness. When we, put, uh, when we put the concerns of others above our own rights, we're being reasonable, forbearing, patiently kind. And as one man, I like how one author said it, sweetly considerate. This is very personal to the Cretans. Because in earlier in chapter 1, verse 12, they were, they were, they were described, Paul, Paul actually uses one of his own, their own poets to describe who the Cretans were. The Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. I'd like to have that on your tombstone, right? <laughs> but that's what, that's, that's what they were. They were, bar- they, were bar- they were basically a barbaric people. They were uncivilized barbarians who exhibited unrestrained, unrestrained indulgence. And they, they acted like wild and ferocious beasts, one author said. Yet as new followers of Jesus, they were to, they were to take on the gentle character of Jesus. And they were to what? Follow his example of relinquishing their personal rights for the betterment of others. You know, it really irritates me when I hear Christians saying they're demanding their rights. They're demanding their rights. You know, as Christians, we're to relinquish our rights for the betterment of others. That's what the gospel teaches. It doesn't teach us to demand our rights. We're to relinquish our rights, just like our Savior did. And this is, why, this is why Paul says, let your gentleness, right? We are to let our gentleness be evident to all people. 
We are not to respond as evil brutes, always fighting for our own rights, but we are to be respectful, considerate, gentle people. The Apostle Peter uh, says this demeanor is what makes our testimonies attractive. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. But do this with gentleness and respect. The message of the gospel becomes more apparent when the power of the gospel comes alive through our firm convictions and our sweet consideration of others. Well, we'll finish up this seven-point sermon (laughs) with the seventh virtue. And the seventh virtue kind of wraps up, be humble in attitude. He says, be always gentle towards everyone. The, The word gentle can just also mean humble. It's interesting that he starts off with this attitude of submission and he ends with an attitude of humility. When consideration is is that outward expression of, of gentleness, you know, here it speaks of an inward attitude of humility, which is the foundation of all Christian behaviors. Andrew Murray wrote this, the root of all virtue, grace, And of all faith and acceptable worship is that we know that we have nothing and we have but what we have received, and we bow in deepest humility to wait upon God for it. To reinforce this posture of humility, Paul reminds them where they came from and how God's mercy alone saved them. It's interesting if you look at the next couple verses, verses three and four. Look at how he describes the Cretans. He says, at one time, at one time, you too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. One historian uh, uh, used uh, these words to describe the Cretans. They were a turbulent race. They were always fighting among themselves for generations. They They were rebellious people. That is unquenchable thirst to just create dissension among themselves. Always producing disorder. And yet, friends, the amazing thing is this is where the gospel found them. The gospel found them in that state. And we, we, we sit back and we go, yeah, I remember where the gospel found me. in a state of rebellion, right? And living for myself. Where's the gospel finding you today? He goes on, he goes on and, and uh, he says, uh, describes how the gospel met them in the next, next few verses, verses four to seven. He says, but when the kindness And love of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, in whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. In Paul's mind, there was no room for pride. There was only room for humble gratitude. Let me ask you a question. How can you specifically grow in your humble dependence on the Lord this week? Friends, God is speaking to us through the various crises that we're facing. I believe he's speaking to our country. and I believe that he's speaking to the church of Jesus Christ. here's the question are we listening are we rising up to be the, the, the greatest example of citizenship that God calls us to be can I encourage you to open yourself up and to simply say Lord I'm here and Lord I'm listening God is speaking to the church, but is the church listening? Let us as Christian citizens and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ be remarkable. Let us be submissive in our attitude, obedient in our behavior, eager to do good, to be generous, to be benevolent in our spirit, to restrain our, 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 our conversations, to hold back our words, right? To turn slanderous comments into, into what? In the prayers, godly prayers, to be peaceable, to bring peace into crazy situations, to be considerate, and to be humbly dependent upon the Lord. Seeking ways to bless our families, friends, and neighbors for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel. One of our churches in the south side of Chicago, um, they were, uh, this church is over 100 years, same age as your church, faithfully served their community, and, uh, and they've, had a, they've had a food pantry there for many years. And, um, and so they've been through this crisis, they've been, you know, uh, helping people with food, they've been helping, actually helping people pay utility bills, all these things. And a businessman heard about their story. And again, this church has been doing this for 100 years. Really knew that never drew you know, attention to them or spotlight on them or anything like that. But they've been just humbly serving and loving their community for all these years. And this businessman found out. And he actually, he actually wrote a check out and gave it to the mayor of the city and said, I want you to give this check to that church so they can keep doing what they're doing. Because they're being remarkable. And he gave him a check for $25,000. And the mayor came over and basically told the story and said, Pastor, we're just so grateful for what you're doing here. And this gentleman, he just really believes in what you're doing and he wants to help you do it more and better. And he gave him $25,000. See, he was blessed, right? They, they were remarkable. And God blessed them. For being remarkable, we have stories like that all over, all over 
uh, converged in, in multiple different types of communities. We, we have a, one, chur- one church, you know, when, the, when, when there were no masks or protective, protective things, one church found uh, 200,000 masks in a warehouse and raised the money to, get the, to buy all those masks and began giving them out to the hospitals and nursing homes and, and uh, pl- you know, police officers, all, all, that, all that kind of stuff. And so, friends, we have an opportunity during this crisis. The church has an opportunity to be remarkable. Let's be remarkable because we have a remarkable message. Do you believe me? Do you believe that we have a remarkable message of hope and forgiveness and love that the world needs? And friends, we need to be remarkable because we have a remarkable Savior. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for this church. I thank you for their rich history. And I thank you for their bright future. And I pray for them. And uh, as, they, as, they, as they go through this pastoral transition time, and I pray, Father, that, they, that you will help the leaders of the church and, and the people of the church figure out how they can how they can uh, do good to their neighbors and be a shining example of your light and love in this community. I pray for this community. We pray for your mercy and your peace to fall on this community. We pray that you raise up believers all over this city who again will be people of peace, people promoting love, and people championing for justice. And so, Lord, we come. We humbly submit ourselves to you. And we ask you to make us remarkable because we have a remarkable Savior and a remarkable message of hope. In Jesus' name, amen.